Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, too often Christians in our society are known for what they are against. But let me ask you some questions. What are you for? Are you for free speech? Are you for a free and respectful debate about controversial issues? Are you for the freedom to have your own political opinions without fear of losing your job? Are you for respecting people and their positions rather than calling them names or censoring them? Are you for the freedom to speak the truth to love people, even those people who disagree with you? Are you for forgiveness rather than being executed by cancel culture? Are you for protecting women and children from sexual predators? Are you for protecting the innocence of young children regarding sex? Are you for parents having the right to teach their children their values? Are you for parents having a say in what their kids are taught in school? Are you for the ability to say no to a government who wants to mutilate and sterilize your children without your consent? Are you for being able to cite the scientific evidence that life begins in conception? Are you for being able to cite the scientific evidence that there are only two genders? Are you for people having the right to get counseling for any issue they are struggling with? Are you for the freedom to live out your religious beliefs? Are you for your ability to preach the gospel? Are you for the freedom to live not by lies, but by the truth? If you are for any or all of those things, you've come to the right show. Because we have the great Dr. Michael Brown with us today, and he has just released just a few weeks ago, a brand new book. As you know, Dr. Brown has written scores of books. They're always timely. They're always on target. They're always what we need to read and hear, particularly when it comes to the culture and how we address it. This new book is called Silencing of the Lambs. Silencing of the Lambs. And it's always great to have my friend, Dr. Michael Brown, on us with it. Mike, how are you? Doing great, Frank. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> All right. Uh, it's always great having you on. And for those of you that don't know, Dr. Brown is on the radio every day in a program called Line of Fire. If you go and go to the website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, you're going to find a wealth of great stuff, not only on cultural issues, but also on theology. Dr. Brown has a PhD in Semitic languages. He, uh, he is probably the, the most popular and well-known proponent of Jesus being the Messiah from the Old Testament. And uh, he's written several books on that. But Mike, what prompted you now to write this book, Silencing of the Lambs? We're at a tipping point, Frank. We're in a situation, really, if you think of the old line at the, at the weddings, if, if if, if anyone has an objection, let them speak now or forever hold their peace. That phrase is in the back of my mind, speak now or forever hold your peace, that if we don't speak up now, the assault on our religious freedoms, the assault, just kids on campus being able to speak freely, even think freely and express yourself, it's under such assault that it could well be that the next generation will end up in jail just for holding to 
basic biblical values that we've held to for centuries. It's, it's such an urgent moment. I think of the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer that the ultimate test of a moral society is the kind of world that it leaves to our children. And things are so outlandish. Even going through the book, reviewing it in the editing process, I, I was freshly shocked by the reality of how far things have gone. And it's gone from beyond just trying to marginalize us to actually trying to silence us and even cancel us. So we have no choice but to speak. The consequences are that severe. You know, Mike, I was reading the book yesterday and today, and I was pretty well shocked in the first section of the book because the book's kind of divided into two sections. You've got, here's how bad it is, and that's the first section. So you just want to you just want to go to sleep after seeing, you go, well, what can we do about this? But then you get to the second section is, what can we do about it? But in the, here's how bad it is section, you were talking about a Canadian father who was literally thrown in jail because he didn't want his daughter to get hormones to try and become a boy. Can you relate that story a little bit? Oh, I can relate it quite vividly. I had heard about this case, and I was speaking in Canada to a, to a good-sized group of pastors and leaders, and I happened to reference the situation. A man and his wife apparently separated. Their daughter at this point was 14 years old when I actually met him face-to-face. The school had convinced her that the various emotional, psychological problems she was having was because she was actually transgender. She was a, a boy trapped in a girl's body. She wanted to proceed with, with hormone treatments, and then after that to be scheduled for sex change surgery when she was older. The father opposed it. The mother was for it. It went to court. The court sided with the daughter. Okay, that's traumatic enough. She's just a kid. She's 14 years old. Not only so... But the court ruled that the father could not speak about the case publicly, and the court ruled that the father could, quote, not misgender his daughter. In other words, he could not refer to her as her. In the privacy of their home, he could not refer to her as her or speak to her using her real female name. This is what the court ruled. So I referenced this outrageous case in Canada only to have a couple come up to me afterwards and say, oh, he's here. So I actually meet the man. I talk with him face to face. And what's interesting was that he wasn't doing this based on Christian conviction. He really wasn't walking strongly with the Lord in the years before that. But this is such a parental issue to him. Well, this is he can't call his daughter his daughter? The courts say so? Well, a couple years after that, he ends up speaking about the case publicly and referring to his daughter as his daughter. So he is thrown in jail. It's also during COVID. So basically they said, well, because of potential infection and things like that, you have to stay in your cell. He was virtually in solitary confinement without even a book or a Bible. And, and then to add insult to injury, he gets a lawyer to work out a, a plea arrangement with him. He makes a deal with the court. He's going to get out based on time served, and he's, he's going to be quiet about the case. When he stands before the judge, says, ah, throw this out. You're in defiance of the court. Sentences him to further months. I talked to him by phone after he had gotten out of jail. The case is still going on. He's got a lawyer fighting for him. I mean, it is, it is beyond outrageous, and it's really happening. This is how far the silencing is going. And this is in Canada, just our northern neighbors here. 
Uh, can you imagine some court telling you you can't call your daughter your daughter? You can't refer to her as a she, even though biologically that's what she is? Uh, this is madness. And the other outrageous thing about it, Mike, as you well know, and Abigail Schreier has pointed out, that young people who struggle with gender dysphoria, most of them grow out of it by the time they hit 18. So to try and give them hormones or give them Lupron, which is a, a drug that we used to give to chemically castrate sexual predators, and which would make them sterile, we ought to just say, why don't we just wait till you're 18, then you can make your own decisions. But this is, this is crazy, Mike. How did we get to this point? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real point of insanity, cultural insanity. I care about the people as you do, the kids that struggle, the adults who struggle, whatever emotional or psychological or spiritual dilemma they find themselves in, they're in a lot of pain. My heart goes out to them. But we're talking about butchering children. I mean, let's, let's think this through. There's now something called rapid onset gender dysphoria, where a girl, especially 15, 16 years old, maybe autistic, many of them suddenly, out of the blue, identify as male. They're uncomfortable mm -hmm. with their bodies. They're going through whatever struggles a, a teen can go through. Now they're told, oh, the answer is that you're actually trans. Frank, there are girls as young as 13 having complete mastectomies. There are girls now 18, 19 years old saying, what did I do? Mm. I'm sterilized for life. What did I do? And we're not allowed to speak about it. You get banned from Twitter if you say what we're saying. It's crazy. What can we do about it? We're talking to my friend, Dr. Michael Brown, his new book, Silencing of the Lambs. You need to get it because there's a lot more in it than we can even talk about and some great ideas on how to fight this for the freedom for everyone, ladies and gentlemen. All right, I'm Frank Turk, back in two. Don't go anywhere. If you're low on the FM dial looking for national public radio, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. I can guarantee you, you will not hear this on NPR. We're talking about the silencing of the lambs, a brand new book by my friend, Dr. Michael Brown, how Christians and even conservatives, even if they're not Christians, are being silenced, censored, in some cases even put in jail because they have an opinion about a political issue or even an issue that wasn't political a decade ago. They're being thrown in jail for simply trying to protect their children. And too many Christians and conservatives are silent about it, so we want to wake you up to that so you can do something. As Edmund Burke famously said, the only thing necessary for evil to prevail is for good people to do nothing. And there's a lot of people doing nothing out here, out there. Hopefully it's not you. Hopefully you're speaking up, and we'll give you some tips on how to do that as we move forward. But Mike, uh, just before the break, we were talking about the insanity going on, that people are actually being canceled Parents are actually being thrown in jail, at least in Canada they are, for trying to protect their daughters from this gender dysphoria. And you were, you were making a point about gender dysphoria, so continue with that point right now, if you would. Yeah, let, let's think about Will, quote, Leah Thomas. This is a biological mm -hmm. male. Now there's this massive uproar. Even many from the left are waking up to this. He was ranked 462 in college as a male swimmer. 462, he now says that he's female. He's, he's smashing records, winning national competitions, coming out number one from 462 to one. He still has his male private parts. He's been known to be exposed in the locker room changing, 
and, and the girls on the team and others are afraid to speak out with their names lest they be canceled, lest they be discriminated mm-hmm. against. You have someone like Richard, quote, Rachel Levine, who mm-hmm. President Biden uh, appointed to Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services, gets an award as one of the women of the year. And when the Babylon Bee, you know, the sarcastic Christian website says, actually, it's, let's give them the man of the year award, they, mm-hmm. they get banned from Twitter. They get suspended from right. Twitter. You, it, technically, if you, quote, misgender someone, if you call a biological male, he, even after this person identifies as a female, you can get banned. And, and then there goes your voice. Let's say that was your main social media platform, like President Trump, right? We're in a situation mm-hmm. today where social media has that kind of power. And we say, wait, wait, how did we wake up in this world where, where you have feminists defending this man competing as, as, a, as a woman? How did this happen? How did we get in this world where if you simply say a biological male will always be a biological male, you get banned from social media platforms. It's like a cultural insanity has swept through. And the only solution is not to try to feed it and appease it, as journalist Gary Greenwald said, unleash this monster and it will come for you. The only solution is to stand and speak, take the consequences, and then overcome by refusing to back down. Yeah, it's a religion without God, basically. It's the secular religion now, Mike. And when these people want to censor others for stating biological facts... It just goes to show you the real agenda here, because any attempt to silence others is a claim to omniscience. It is a claim to be at a know-it-all who can't learn anything. It is intolerant, non-inclusive, non-diverse dogmatism. And ironically, the people who claim to be fighting for tolerance, inclusion, and diversity are often the most intolerant, non-inclusive, non-diverse group out there, Mike. Uh... The only way that this is going to get turned around, so people just have freedom of speech, just freedom of speech and not get canceled from their jobs, is if people start standing up. Because if one person stands up, other people will eventually stand up, and this then can't continue. And I know your book has some tips on how to do that, Mike. Uh, what, go, go, go ahead. What would be one thing people could start doing to stand against this? Yes. Yeah, so again, you, you have to recognize the nature of what we're dealing with, right? Mm-hmm. And, and when you were just saying so powerfully and clearly and eloquently that, that those claiming to be tolerant are the most intolerant, it reminds me of something that happened in the city of Charlotte. We don't live far from there, both of us. Right. Happened there some years ago in the early days of us getting involved with sponsors of, of gay activism in the city and gay pride events. There was a, a, a new company that was joining on in the support, Caribou Coffee. It's a national chain, not as big as Starbucks, but national chain. And they are now going to support the Gay Pride March. And, and I, I wrote to them and said, you know, this is a controversial subject in our, in our city, and it's divisive. Wouldn't it be better to be neutral on it? We're not asking you to put Bibles out in your store, have Christian music playing, but wouldn't it be better to be neutral and they wrote back and said, no, no, we want to stand with all of our clientele in the city and, and, and support everyone. So I wrote back and said, okay, great. In that case, would you want to sponsor this rally we're going to have? It's going to be a, a rally for sexual purity, a rally for the sanctity of life beginning in the womb. You know, I, I painted the picture. Mm-hmm. I talked to some other businesses. Do you want to get behind this? Sure. You know, some Christian businesses. I presented to them. And Frank, literally, I still have a copy of the letter. They wrote back to me and said, 
no, we will not work with you because we are inclusive. <laughs> you talk about absolute double talk. So one of yeah. the things that we can do is expose this, expose mm -hmm. the silencing. And what's fascinating to me, and I have quote after quote in the book, is that more and more people on the left, people like Bill Maher, I think you were on his TV show years ago. Oh, I mean, yeah. famous mm -hmm. atheist, irreligious. He's now speaking out against this. You've got the most secular worldly people, Miley Cyrus and Sharon Stone and Alec Baldwin, and they're all speaking out against this. You've got singer and songwriter Nick Cave saying that, that cancel culture is mercy's antithesis. What we can do is, is expose it and show a better way. There's no redemption in cancel no, culture. None. There, there, there's no forgiveness. You get exposed 10 years ago when you didn't know better. You were at a, a Halloween party with friends and you came in in blackface to be silly. Now you realize, wow, that's terribly offensive. I wouldn't do that. Ah, that comes up from 10 years ago. You're banned from doing things today. I, I think Unless you're Justin Trudeau, <laughs> yeah, exactly, then, or then, then, right, or, yeah. or the governor of uh, of, uh, of Virginia, Virginia in which case you could have before. a Ku Klux Klan uh, outfit yeah, yeah. on, yeah. Right, right? But but the the fact is, if you don't fall in the right category, the cancel culture is merciless, is ruthless. It shows no forgiveness. It shows no redemption. We are of another spirit. That's why it's the case that we always invite the left. Let's have a debate. But the left almost never invites us to have a debate. We'll have radicals on our show with very different positions, but they won't have us on their show. We're the ones on the campus is saying, let everyone have a platform. Let everyone be able to speak. So we can show a, a better way. We can show a way of mercy and redemption and forgiveness and second chances. Okay, you blew it. You were wrong. You understood you're wrong. Now you're moving forward. Let's work with you. And, and society as a whole is not like many of these cultural elites that are so unforgiving. I think of the case of Morgan Wallen. I tell his story in the book. Here he is, a country music singer, very, very popular. One night, he's, he's drunk. Uh, he's home. A neighbor hears him talking to his friend. He uses the N-word. The neighbor posts the video. Next thing, he's canceled from all the, the radio stations that he's on. Next thing, he's canceled from appearing at the Country Music Awards, the annual awards. He's repentant. He's contrite. This is wrong. I'm embarrassed. This is not who I am. He ends up giving a half million dollars to African-American causes. Cancel. Well, the problem is he remained popular. The end of the year, he recorded a, a video with a, a black hip-hop artist. It became number one in hip-hop. And, and then just a couple of weeks ago, he won the Country Music Awards for Album of the Year, despite being canceled on all these platforms. It's because Americans want to forgive and want to move forward. And, and that's our Christian value to show this is how you do it. Now, Louis Giglio, who is a pastor down in Atlanta, you cite in your book, Mike, about his situation. He was supposed to pray at the inauguration of Barack Obama. What happened? So it's the second inauguration. He's going to pray. We might know him in our Christian circles for holding these passion events, these uh, mm -hmm. great worship services with uh, thousands of young people. But he's known in, the, in President Obama's circles uh, for his, his uh, fighting against human trafficking. So right. based on that, the president wanted him to pray at the inauguration. And then a terrible discovery was made. <gasps> it was discovered that this Christian pastor, somewhere 15 or 20 years earlier, had preached one sermon 
in which he mentioned one time homosexuality, but in a loving, redemptive way, laid out what Scripture said and laid out God's love and redemptive plan. Now, what baffles me was he only addressed the issue once in 15 or 20 years. But because he did that, because he once said what the Bible says about homosexuality with love and compassion, he had to withdraw from the event. They basically forced him out. You cannot even hold to a biblical belief as a pastor without being canceled. Well, I guess we're all going to be canceled then because we believe the Bible's true and we believe Jesus was smarter than us and the apostles were truly getting revelation from God. And yet the people that are coming out against people like Louis Giglio and others who are standing for truth, uh, what standard do they have by which they say that uh, unless you agree with, say, LGBTQ activism, you're wrong. What standard do they use, Mike? Where do they come up with this stuff? You know, Augustine said, if you only believe what you like in the Gospels, it's not the Gospels you believe, but yourself. So mm-hmm, it's, it's mm-hmm. basically my particular standard, what, what I deem to be right or wrong. And of course, that keeps shifting. You know, the, right. it, it keeps shifting by the culture of the, of the hour. A lot of Christians say, well, we're deconstructing. We're asking the big questions to get back to what the Bible really says. One of my friends said to a so-called deconstructing Christian the other day, doesn't it disturb you that all the conclusions that all of you are coming to are exactly what the world is saying right now, the spirit of the age? The fact is, there are so many of us, so many tens of millions of us, not just you and I with radio shows and writing books and being on college campuses and things like that, but in the workplace, in the school system, in the classes themselves, in all different aspects of American life, if we will simply let our views be known, if we will simply lovingly say, hey, you have this viewpoint, let me show you another viewpoint, because God's not out to steal our fun. God's out to make us whole. God's out to make us holy. It's what's best. His ways are best. If we begin to speak, it would be utterly impossible to cancel us. And one declaration that I make in the silencing of the lambs is that the church cannot be ultimately canceled and the word of God cannot be ultimately bound. And whatever is meant to silence us can become a platform to give us a louder voice to speak. And right after the break, we're going to talk about some practical things you can do to stand for truth to stand for freedom, not only for you, but for the people that disagree with you. You ought to stand for their freedom too. That's what we're gonna talk about. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with me, Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Website is crossexamined.org, crossexamined with a D on the end of it. The show is called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, back in two. Is your voice for truth being silenced by your own self-censorship? A lot of people are just censoring themselves because they're afraid of being canceled. By the way, uh, some of this is related to, of course, a new movement out there, relatively new, we call progressive Christianity, which isn't progressive or Christian at all. You're not progressing when you're when you're moving away from Jesus, and you're not Christian when you, devi- when you deny the fundamentals of the faith, 
And Elisa Childers, who wrote that great book called Another Gospel, is teaching an online course for us. It begins next week. It's about progressive Christianity. If you sign up for the premium version, you'll be on with Elisa several times for live Zoom Q&As. Just go to crossexamine.org, click on online courses. You'll see it there. And uh, it starts next week. If you're hearing this the following week, there might still be an opportunity to join because the Zoom start a little bit after the, pro- after the official start of the course. But check that out. Progressive Christianity. How do you respond to it? Do you know people who are in it? How can you help them get out of it? Elisa Childers, there's nobody better doing that uh, out there on that topic than Elisa Childers. Also, I want to mention this Monday night, I'll be at Louisiana Christian University near Alexandria, Louisiana. We're going to be doing I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. It's open to everybody. If you go to crossexamine.org, click on events, you'll see it there. This will also be live streamed. So if you want to see it on our YouTube channel or our website or our app, you can. This Monday night, Lord willing, what date is that? Is that the 28th? I think it's the 28th of, uh, of March. I don't have my calendar in front of me, but I think that it's Monday night. So I hope to see you. Uh, there online, or if you're near Alexandria, Louisiana, you're welcome to attend. We're talking to my friend, Dr. Michael Brown. And Mike, there's another aspect of your book that I found inspiring. It was about a pastor from Romania who you actually met in person. He was back during the Nazi takeover of Romania. What happened to this gentleman and how is he an inspiration for us all? So Pastor Richard Warren has an incredible story. He and his wife, Sabina, Jewish believers, his book, Torture for Christ, was the most translated religious book written in the 20th century. And he himself went to prison uh, two different times, 14 years, terrible torture, three years in horrific solitary confinement. His wife went to a slave labor camp, uh, unspeakable things that they endured. And his, his own story, is there was a national conference taking place in there was a complete atheist takeover of the country and here there's a national conference and leader after this leader, is right Christ- after world war ii right right yeah, after the nazis right. fell the russians came into romania exactly right. so during yeah. the nazi occupation he's reaching out to nazis now you've got communism taking over and there's a national conference and uh, it, there's, a, there's a story in the book I'll get to, but first, his, his background. At this national conference, uh, leader after leader, Christian leader after Christian leader is praising the new regime because they've all sold out to it. Because what's the principle? Well, if we speak against it, they'll kill us and they'll take away our churches and they may hurt our families. So the best thing to do is just go along with the system here. So Sabina says to Richard, you have to get up and say something. He said, if I do, you won't have a husband anymore. And she basically says, if you don't, I won't have a husband. So mm. he stands up and speak, speaks out. It's on national radio and all this. So after that, he's a marked man. After that, he's arrested in prison. So I got to spend time with him on a couple of different occasions. And on the first occasion, we had a few hours together. And Frank, literally, he and his wife were like from another planet. As you're sitting next to them, I mean, he's got these scars in his neck. At one point, he, he testified before Congress, took his shirt off and said, this is what communism did to me, all the gashes and I mean, the burns. So I said, I heard this story. Is it true? He said, oh, yes, it's true. I know the pastor involved. So it was a night service at a Romanian church. Again, it's during this time of communist takeover. And during the service, 
two armed soldiers come in, close the door behind them, and say to the congregation, if you stay here and are faithful to Jesus, we will kill you. If you deny Jesus, get up and leave, and you can live. Think about it. And then what would you do? I mean, you say, oh, we all stand strong. Who knows? What if you just got married? And, and, and your, right. your, your wife is at home waiting for you. Mm-hmm. What, what if you got elderly parents you're caring for? I mean, there, there are all these reasons that we could come up with. They're just, I want to save my life. Well, a few people get up and leave. Everybody else stays there. Then they lock the doors. The soldiers lock the doors. And then they put their weapons down. True story. And they say, praise God. We are believers too but we couldn't risk worshiping with anyone that wasn't willing to die for Jesus. Wow. True story. Wow, that's amazing. Now, how did he survive the gulag to actually, and his wife, his wife got out too, and you met them, what, 1993? So this is many years yeah, later. Yeah, that's this right, happen? the first time, 93. How did it happen? How, how, did, how, did, he, how did he get out of Romania? Well, and, and, and the prison. What, what, what happened was, I, I mean, it's, he served his sentence. Uh, he, should have, he should have died multiple times from the torture, then from tuberculosis. They had him in a death room where he was ultimately the only one that, that survived from that. So God miraculously preserved them through terrible hardship. Uh, to, to the day I met him, he couldn't stay. He, if he was going to speak, he had to speak sitting down because his feet had been so terribly tortured. He could, he could walk, you know, kind of gingerly walk, but he couldn't stand when he was speaking. But ultimately what happened was Christians in the West uh, ransomed him out. When, when uh, it, he was going to be arrested again, they paid a ransom and they got him out of the country because God had a purpose for him to share and testify. I remember him asking us when he was with us in Maryland and he, he said, when the Supreme Court outlawed prayer in schools, why did you comply? And we, we were just smitten, like, oh, yeah, there's no, you, you don't have the ability to tell kids you can't say a prayer at the beginning of the day, but it was in his mentality, you do what's right because it's right. So one of the biggest principles I try to drill home in the second half of the book, which has most of the chapters, they're shorter and, and, and with inspiration and encouragement, One of the things I try to drill home is this. If you save your life, you lose it. This is what Jesus said. If you lose your life for his sake in the gospel, you find it. And and it is mentality that says, okay, I I can't rock the boat because the kids won't like me. If, If I say this, I may not get the promotion on my job. If I speak up here, I might get ostracized. You know, if if I repost Frank's article here, I I'm I may uh, I may get some uh, unfriends, lose my friends on social media. So what I'm going to do is lay low. What I'm going to do is not rock the boat. Well, you lose your life. You become a slave to the opinions of others. You become mm. a slave to the spirit of the world and the spirit of the moment. Instead, if you lose your life, you find it. If you say, you know, I'm not going to be obnoxious. I'm not going to be nasty, but I am going to speak the truth in love. I'm going to share my convictions and whatever happens, happens. You become free. It's a remarkable mm-hmm. experience. You become free. You find your life. And that's a recurring theme through the second half of the book. If you save your life, you lose it. You lose your life for the gospel. You find it. Dr. Martin Luther King said, a man dies when he refuses to stand up for that which is right. A man dies when he refuses to stand up for that which is true. So we have to determine 
I'm going to speak the truth. I'm going to do what's right because it is right in the sight of God. And it's also best for all those around us. And it's best for the next generation. And whatever happens, happens. Because ultimately, if God is for us and with us, that's all we need to know. The book is called Silencing of the Lambs, and uh, of course the Christians are the lambs. And years ago I wrote an article, Mike, called Country a Mess, Blame the Church. It's really the church's fault that we're where we are now because the church has not been engaged like it should have been engaged. It it went anti-intellectual in the 1920s for the past hundred years. The church has ceded the culture to people who are godless, and we wonder why then the culture goes godless. It's really our fault. And you point out that Paul really talks about the fact that we're not fighting actually against people, though. We're, we're fighting against the spirit forces of darkness. Expound upon that a little bit. It's really interesting. We're all familiar with 2 Corinthians 10. We've heard the words, the weapons of our warfare mm-hmm. are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. But what we don't know is in that context, Paul is talking about ideological strongholds. He's he's talking about false Mm. arguments. So we have spiritual Mm. weapons with which we fight. So I'm I'm not mad at a gay activist for being a gay activist. I'm not not mad for a liberal social media person for being liberal. I'm I'm mad at the devil and demonic forces that want to destroy human beings that that hate you and me and, and hate everyone. So what I want to do is use the spiritual weapons that we have to fight against these demonic strongholds. That first means in prayer, engaging in prayer. And and then secondly, it means recognizing the spiritual blindness that's behind these things, that it's it's not just words that we're fighting, but mindsets and ideologies. And then by the word of God, using the weapon of the word of God, by exposing the error and and showing the truth— you know, often, Frank, as we show the trajectory, we show where this thing is going. We show, okay, if you keep on this path, it will end up here and here. Many people don't want to go to that place. Many people that said, yeah, same-sex marriage, why not? The people love each other. Why shouldn't they have the same rights that we do? They didn't sign up for Will Thomas being in a locker room mm-hmm. with their daughters at college and beating them in races. So, the trajectory is exposed by the word of God. We war in prayer for the souls and lives of people. We demonstrate God's better ways of forgiveness and redemption. These are the different weapons that we have that the world doesn't have. That's why the world riots in the streets. That's why they burn down buildings. That's why they intimidate by force. That's why they threaten to cancel, because they don't have the spiritual weapons that we have, and they don't have the truth that we have. Yeah, it's amazing that we've gotten to a point where a lady who is supposed to be the first black woman on the Supreme Court can't even tell us what a woman is. Well, then how can she be the first black woman if she doesn't even know what a woman is? I mean, and, and, and if it, Rachel it, it, Dolezal, a white yeah. woman, can identify as black, then what's the significance of a black woman? Yes, it, it, Chesterton said it so well years ago. He said it's when people lose their belief in God, I'm paraphrasing, when people stop believing in God, they don't believe in nothing, they believe in anything. And they can't actually come to say 
that a man is a man and a woman is a woman. Well, look, if there, if there are no genders, there's no such thing as transgenderism, friends. The only way that transgenderism can be a thing is if there are fixed genders. Because if I'm a man and I think I'm a woman, I have to have some idea of what a man is and some idea of what a woman is to, to know the difference and to try and make the transition. So transgenderism itself presupposes fixed genders. And, we, and these people who are gonna be on the Supreme Court can't even say this without fear of reprisal. It's crazy. Much more with my friend, Dr. Michael Brown. His brilliant new book, which you need to get to try and turn the tide, is called Silencing of the Lambs. You ought to pick it up. You also go, ought to go to his website, askdrbrown.org. Askdrbrown.org, back in two. What are you for, ladies and gentlemen? That's what we're talking about today. There's, it's often thought that Christians are against certain things, and we are, but so is the other side. <laughs> They're against certain things. But are you for freedom? Are you for protecting women and children? Are you for the ability to say no to a government who wants to mutilate and sterilize your children without your consent? Are you for People being able to express and live their religious beliefs. Are you for the ability to preach the gospel publicly without fear of reprisal? Are you for the ability to keep your job even though you might have conservative political opinions? If you're for those things, then you need to read Dr. Michael Brown's new book, Silencing of the Lambs. Now, Mike, let me ask you this, because real practically, I know there are people listening right now who, if they post something on social media that's in any way conservative, if, if, if they just speak the truth on social media or verbally to somebody, if they say a man is a man is a woman is a woman, and everybody knows that, but still people want to deny it, they risk losing their jobs and being not, not able to support their family. What do you say to these people? So here's what I tell them. You need to sit down together as a family, and you need to all agree that what matters most is being free. What matters most is honoring the Lord and speaking the truth in love regardless of cost or consequences. A dear brother I work with in India, when he baptizes people, so these are new converts, when he baptizes them after they make their confession of faith, he asks them, are you willing to follow Jesus to your last drop of blood, to your last breath? That's a question at water baptism. There's another brother who was on my radio show, works a lot with Muslims in the Middle East, former Muslims, he said before they baptize them, they ask them, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Are you willing to die for Jesus? So let's first as a family say, okay, these are our priorities. And if push came to shove and I had to deny my faith and compromise my faith, I will not do it. Even if we lose everything, we will trust God together and he'll be with us. And then you have to ask yourself, am I being put in a box? Look, we are publicly posting things day and night. It's part of our ministry calling. Not everyone's called to do what we do. But ask yourself, would you want to get this out? Is this a message that you feel is important to share? But, and the only reason you're not sharing it is because it may get reported to somebody, to the thought police, and you get canceled. Mm. Well, you have to make that determination. I'm not going to be a slave to fear. I'm not going to bow down to that. Because look, it, it could be this simple. Angela McCaskill was the first black female deaf person to get a doctorate in America, earned a PhD, I think in the world, earned a PhD, and then she was diversity officer at Gallaudet University, greatly loved. This was considered the premier school for the deaf. This was before the Supreme Court ridiculously redefined marriage. And, and in Maryland, there was going to be a vote in the Senate 
about redefining marriage. So she and her husband in a church service signed a petition saying, we would like to have a referendum where we can all vote on this as citizens in Maryland. Well, a gay activist newspaper uh, got the names of everyone that signed the petition and published them. As a result of that, she was suspended from her job. Thankfully, there was a national outrage and she was reinstated. Terribly traumatic for her to go through that. It's like, wait a second, you can't hide. That's the whole thing. It's not just a matter of what you post yourself, but it may be a matter of a sermon that your pastor preached and you were there that day. Or it may be a matter of you signed a petition saying this, I don't think that boys should be competing with girls in girls' sports. You get banned for that. So you keep getting strangled and tied up more and more and more. you got nowhere to go. So draw that line in the sand and say, if I feel something is good and right to say, to speak, I'm not looking for trouble. I'm, I'm a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. I honor the authorities that I work with and serve with. But if I feel I should speak, I will speak. As a family, we're prepared to take the consequences. Let me say this last thing. I know this is serious business. I know we're talking about people's livelihoods, but our brothers and sisters around the world are literally dying and having their heads chopped off because they won't deny Jesus. This is a more subtle denial of Jesus, but it is a denial of Jesus nonetheless when we refuse to speak the truth about critical issues in people's lives because we're afraid of the consequences. You know, as Thomas Sowell once said, he said, when you tell people the truth, you're helping them. When you tell people what they want to hear, you're helping yourself. Mm. And too often we're telling people what they want to hear. Uh, I'm reminded of Rod Dreher's book, uh, Mike, uh, called Live Not By Lies. And he points out that Soviet dissidents have become so disenchanted with America because they see the totalitarianism coming here in America. And uh, he, the Soviet dissidents... Uh, pointed out uh, that, well, actually it was, I think, a Roman Catholic priest, I want to say in Czechoslovakia or somewhere, when he knew the Nazis weren't going to lose the war in World War II, he said, the Russians are going to come in and they're going to clamp down on us. So if we're going to survive, we have to get into small groups now. And they did, and that's how they survived. That's what needs to happen right now, friends. If you're not in a small group of believers, you need to get in one right now because when, if you lose your job because you're just... You're out there standing for Jesus. You need to have a group of believers come around you and financially support you until you can find another job, or maybe they can get you another job. You need to have that kind of support system. So get in that group now. If for no other reason, you need the you need the support, and you need to support others as you go through difficulty. So those small groups are critically important. You're going to say something, Mike? Go ahead. Yeah, the the church being the church. In other words, we already have a mechanism. We already have an organism that can overcome because we have this union and we have this solidarity and we're willing to sacrifice one for another and we are interconnected on a deeper level. So most of the world doesn't have that built-in network. We do. The church being the church overcomes cancel culture. Uh, Mike, you also have a section in your book, I think it's the last chapter, talking about a national holiday. What's that all about? So we have announced National Not Ashamed of Jesus Day every April 14th. Why April 14th? Well, it's 414. It's a time when kids are in school, too, so they're around others more. 414, Esther 414, where Mordecai challenges his cousin Esther and says, look, if you're silent now, there's a threat to our people. If you're silent now, then help will come from another place. But perhaps God has brought you into the kingdom for such a time as this. 
And here's what we're asking for and calling for. We're, we're getting great response from pastors and other leaders who plan to get involved. They're helping to get the word out. Is on that day, go out of your way to be a public witness in whatever form you can. If, if you don't have a, a uniform at work or a special dress code, maybe you can wear a shirt that proclaims, I'm not ashamed of Jesus, or just a Bible verse on it. Maybe you bring your Bible with, us, with you and put it on your desk if you can. Or, or you do something, you, you just look to reach out to one person and say, hey, just want you to know I'm a follower of Jesus. Can I pray for you? Is there any way I can help you? If you're a kid at school, get the message out however you can. Maybe you don't go out, but you can post something on social media. And our message is very simple. We're here. We're not ashamed. We love Jesus. And we love you. I know many of us do that on a regular basis, but you, you may not know half the people in the workplace that are other believers. And suddenly on this day, you say, whoa, I didn't know that you, you, you. There's so many of us. It brings encouragement. Mm -hmm. Maybe you've tried to fly under the radar. Well, from this day on, you won't be under the radar. You say, that's costly. Well, that's the gospel. That's the gospel. Jesus said, don't, don't put your light in the closet somewhere. Hold it up for everyone to see. This is what we're called to do and even commanded to do. So everybody can do something on that day. It will encourage us. It will open doors to witness. It, those of us who haven't been known as Christians, people want to know, well, what do you think about this? Or what about this? Or they may come to you in a time of need and you say, I don't have the answers for everything. Don't worry. Just say, great question. Let's get those answers together. National Not Ashamed of Jesus Day. Folks can go to notashamedofjesus.org. Notashamedofjesus.org. April 14th. They can also look. There's uh, information packets. There's a packet for leaders, all kinds of suggestions of things to do. And we really believe that as there's some momentum and encouragement, as more and more of us come out of the closet, that the light will shine more brightly and it will be all the more impossible to silence us and marginalize us. You know, Mike, I know a lot of people resist God because they think God is going to take away their fun. But I, I like to ask people, when you buy a new car or get a new car or even a used car, it's got a manual in it, right? And that manual tells you, here's what you can do with the car. Here's what you shouldn't do with the car, right? If you want the car to run well and you don't want to get hurt, do these things. But don't do these things. You're going to hurt yourself or hurt the car, right? Do we ever get mad at Ford or Hyundai or whoever when they print that manual and tell us here are the do's and the don'ts? No, we say, oh, great, thanks. Thanks for telling me. Now I can, I can, I can operate the car better safely. Why do we get mad at God when he gives us a similar manual and says, here are the good things you ought to do to have a fruitful life, and here are the things you want to stay away from? Why do we get mad, Mike? Why are people so mad at God? Why are they running? It's just like when you, when you tell a teenager, a, a young guy who's going to start driving the car, okay, you got to obey the speed. Of the, why are you trying to take away my foot? No, I'm trying to <laughs> yeah. save your life. But from right. the flesh viewpoint, we always wonder about, look, insurance companies understand this. If you live by the principles of the book of Proverbs, you're going to get a better insurance rate than someone who's a, a drunkard <laughs> right. and a glutton and, and wild living and into crime and things like that, because they know that the one tends to health and long life and the other tends to sickness and premature death. But it's the flesh that wants to do these things, the flesh that wants to commit idolatry and adultery and steal and do all these things. But ultimately, that's what ends you up in misery and destruction. So. You're absolutely right. Because we know that our message is a good message, because we know it will liberate people and help people, because we know that there is no one who cares for us more than Jesus himself, that we can do this with boldness 
because we, we know long-term, we know the trajectory. We know where this is going to go. We've watched it in history. We're watching it unfold in front of our eyes in America. One way is going to lead to destruction. The other way is going to lead to life and redemption. So we are emboldened and encouraged by that because we know God's ways are best, and therefore, we will not be muzzled. Thank you so much. That's Dr. Michael Brown, ladies and gentlemen. The book is called Silencing of the Lambs. You need to get it. It's got great insights in it. And uh, it has great ways to try and actually turn this around. And we need to do it. Hey, if not us, who? So great having you on, Mike. Thanks so much. Also check out his website, AskDrBrown.org. Don't forget, I'm at Louisiana Christian University in Alexandria, Louisiana. This Monday night, it will be streamed as well. Also, Elisa Childers, the course on progressive Christianity starts next week. And don't forget about the National Christian Apologetics Conference here near Charlotte coming up April 8th. Hope to see you there. Back here next week. God bless.